Good morning, people of God. The Lord is with you. I have to tell you, I'm tired. I am weary. I'm tired of seeing only half of people's faces. I'm tired of my glasses fogging up so I can't even see the other half of their faces. I'm tired of being only virtually with people that I care about deeply. I'm tired of no gatherings, no touches, no hugs. I'm tired of news cycles that only change incrementally from day to day and week to week and mostly for the worse. I'm tired of waiting for an election. I'm tired of waiting for a vaccine. I'm tired of waiting for something to change. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of violent words and violent actions. I'm tired of people denying our problems rather than dealing with them. I'm tired of deniers of, co of climate change and denying of the COVID plague and systemic racism. I'm just tired of people saying things don't exist that do exist. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of the propagation of one conspiracy theory after another. I'm so tired of the words Zoom and unprecedented. You might assume I'm tired because I'm old and crotchety and, and that would be only partially right, but it'd be mostly wrong. My weariness has very little to do with my age and it's not physical weariness that I wrestle with, but emotional and spiritual and mental fatigue in these days. I know plenty of younger people who feel the same kind of weariness and exhaustion right now. I'm tired. Sometimes it's the weight of life that bears down on us and just wears us out with such force we, can't, we think we can't go on. A worldwide pandemic strikes and strips us of a sense of normality and robs us of life. It takes away experiences and it takes away the very life and health of people we know and care about. We're quickly swamped by the anxiety of financial pressures and conflicts at work and tension with family members and exhausted by trying to stay focused in classes and dealing with loss and grief and things that have been important to us. We're inundated by reports of the cultural tensions and political unrest and strife that surrounds us and marks the country and the world we live in. And the pile of troubles just seems to grow and grow until it becomes more than we can really carry around with us. A few weeks ago, we symbolically changed the date from 20 to 21, but the same story goes on. It, it, it hasn't made a difference. It's wearying. Sometimes it's the work that we do, even ministry, that becomes wearying, leaves us worn out. We do what we do for years on end, and we wonder sometimes if it's really made any difference and if anyone has really noticed. And before long, we've had, we wonder whether we can still go on. It's just not sustainable. We grow weary. This very journey we call life is a tiring one. Sometimes we walk till our feet ache and our legs ache and our lungs ache and our hearts ache and we're not sure we even want to go on. Even people giving themselves to service in the kingdom can find ourselves feeling like this after a while. You begin to wonder if God still has you on his radar. If God still knows where you are and what you're up to. We grow weary. In the 6th century before Christ, ancient Israel was weary. 
and for good reasons, better reasons than ours, I would suggest. They'd had a, we've had a bad year. They had a bad century. Decades had passed with the people of God in exile in Babylon. And eventually God raises up Cyrus the Persian and they gather their things and begin to trickle back to home only to find the fields overgrown and the walls down and the temple destroyed. And even with a great deal of effort, they were making so little progress and they were weary. They got to wondering if somehow God had just forgotten that they exist, lost their records, didn't know where they were any longer. You can hear that complaint in verse 27 of Isaiah chapter 40. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded from my God. Their real sense was that God was somewhere else, dealing with someone else, paying attention to other people, keeping promises to other than those that he had forged a covenant with at Sinai. He was either out of control or irrelevant to their lives, but it didn't matter anymore. But God's response to Israel through his prophet challenges that perspective. It's not that Yahweh has forgotten you, he says. You have forgotten Yahweh. You've forgotten his power, his character, his incomparable greatness. You've lost your faith, abandoned your trust. You no longer rely on him. You've forgotten the relationship. These are the source of your strength and your endurance, and you've, you've let them go. Your theology has eroded. It's thin and shallow and anemic. You have forgotten God. The great theologian Charles Schultz in the Peanuts uh, cartoons once had one, often quoted one. Linus and Lucy are standing at a window looking outside, and it's pouring down rain outside. And Lucy says, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? And Linus responds, it will never do that. The ninth chapter of Genesis, God promises Noah that it would never happen again, and he gave us the rainbow as a sign of that promise. Lucy says, boy, that takes a load off my mind. And Linus said, sound theology has a way of doing that. So listen to the prophet's response to Israel's despair. Have you not heard? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits on the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in. He is the one who brings princes to naught. Makes rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted. Scarcely are they sown. Scarcely have they taken root when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Yahweh is the sovereign God to whom Babylon and Persia and all other rulers are nothing. They are grasses that flourish and then turn to waste. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see. Who created these? He who brings out the host, numbers them, and calls them by name because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Yahweh is the one and only creator of the universe, the holy one to whom no one can be compared. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, The fundamental error of modern times lies in the yawning abyss of quality 
in the difference between God and humans has been removed. The result in dogmatic theology is a mockery of God, anemic and weak, the yawning abyss of quality in the difference between God and man. We have forgotten the infinite qualitative difference between God and us, contained in Isaiah's title for God, the Holy One of Israel. He's the star shepherd who brings out the heavenly host and calls them by name and never loses a single one of his flock. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from God, my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not heard? Have you not known? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Yahweh is the everlasting God. Yahweh is the creator. Yahweh's strength and endurance never fail. Yahweh understands everything in creation and history. There's no mystery to him. Just the mystery of him. This is what God is like. So how do we get to thinking that God has somehow forgotten about his people? How do we come to believe the narrative our world around us offers and forget the story we've been called to live into and out of? To paraphrase the prophet, have you ever really listened to the stories of creation and exodus? The stories of the cross and resurrection. Have you heard those stories? Do you remember them? Do you understand who your God really is? He is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He never gets tired. He never grows weary. He never wears out. He fully understands everything, including you and your situation. He gives power to the faint, the prophet said, and strengthens the powerless even youths will faint and grow weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's strength is so abundant, it actually overflows from him into the hands and lives and hearts of those who need it. He gives his strength and power to the weary and the weak. Even the strength of the young eventually plays out. They stumble and fall, but those who know what it is to put their trust in the eternal everlasting God find ways to mount up. They are able to persevere, not giving up, not giving in, not growing weary, soaring like an eagle on the winds of the Spirit of God. The word to, of God to the people of God is this. In the midst of your weariness, you must learn to trust God strength to sustain you. In the midst of your weariness, you must learn to trust God's strength to sustain you. Servants of God can easily grow weary. Sometimes it's because we get so wrapped up in the doing parts of our life, we forgot the being parts of our life. We get to be so task-oriented that we forgot the relationship out of which our call has come, a relationship to our God. We find ourselves doing the task of ministry in our own strength rather than in reliance upon him who called us. We have no time for the Lord of the work, only time for the work of the Lord. And after a while, we burn out, or what uh, Will Willimon says, we brown out. We forget why we're doing what we're doing. We lose our sense of call. We start writing hot checks on our emotions, on our physical well-being, our souls. We're more like hummingbirds than eagles. 
at our place in Floresville, there are lots of birds. But the ruby-throated hummingbirds and the black-chinned hummingbirds, they show up in March every year. They'll be here in a few weeks. And until October, they will carry out their aerial battles that are so entertaining to watch there at the feeder on our front porch. They come and go and flit around and fly around. Hummingbirds are just amazing creatures of God and so entertaining to watch. Their, their wings flap at something like 70 beats per second. They're the only bird that can fly backwards. Uh, they're amazing creatures. But because they use so much energy at any given time, hummingbirds are only hours away from starvation because everything is given to the energy. And it's easy to get into the hummingbird mode, easy in our life and service in the kingdom where we are flitting from one thing to another with scarcely time to rest or reflect or draw on God's strength. We live on the verge of spiritual starvation a good bit of our time because we just don't take time away and we become weary. But we also observe a number of raptors at our place. We have a northern harrier and American kestrel, these beautiful birds that come in winter with us and hunt over out, out over our fields. And they're the red-tailed hawks that are there most of the year. These birds are different. They're like Isaiah's eagle. They're big and strong, powerful flyers. They achieve speeds of 45 to 70 miles an hour. In a dive, they can get 100 miles an hour. But to watch them fly is very different than watching a hummingbird fly because the way they fly with a couple of flaps of their wings, they find a thermal convection and they're lifted up higher and higher and higher and their wings barely move as they make their way around doing their hunting and I think sometimes just having a good time. It looks like that way to me. It's a very different way to fly, being borne up by the updrafts of the spirit of the wind. And it's the eagle that Isaiah recommends to us, not the hummingbird. He calls us to be borne aloft by the winds of God's spirit, to learn to depend on God's strength, a strength that is other than our own in times when we grow weary. We have to learn to change our language from, I just can't do it anymore to I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do those things. I, I can keep going. We have to listen to Jesus' invitation that comes, I think, right out of Isaiah chapter 40. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. How do we do that exactly? How do we find God's strength to help us through these kind of wearying, difficult times? Get us back in the game with some strength. Isaiah said the secret of such a life is to learn to wait on the Lord. It's the literal translation there. The NIV has it, hope in the Lord. The word carries a sense of tenseness, uh, alertness, eagerness, expectation. In chapter 8 of Isaiah, verse 17, it's translated often as to hope. But it is a word that implies an active trusting in God, reliance upon God. It's an interesting idea, waiting on the Lord. It's used a lot in the Psalms, it's in Proverbs, Isaiah, to describe this relational posture with our God, waiting for God. It's not a passive state. It's an active thing. There's an attentiveness to waiting, one waiting, with, uh, waiting for your name to be called, 
waiting for someone to show up, attentive to everything that moves, waiting for the, the one you're, you're longing for. An attentiveness is a part of waiting. Preparedness is a kind of waiting. Waiting like a prepared second string quarterback sitting on the bench, ready in case his number's called, ready to go in and do what he was ready, he's been prepared to do. There's a preparedness in waiting. There's a responsiveness in waiting. Like, being in the doctor's waiting room and waiting to hear your name called so that it's time for you to go and do what is necessary. There's an anticipation, a kind of hope that is a part of waiting. We're waiting for something to happen. There's a trust in this waiting that relies upon God. And worship is a part of waiting. God is not the world's greatest egotist. Who egoist, who has to have his name praised so that he feels good about himself. Praise is not for God's sake. We need worship as part of our waiting on God. We need to be reminded who God is. We need to sing how great thou art. God doesn't need to hear us say it. We need to sing it because we will forget as Israel did and say, God's forgotten all about us. God's lost his power. No, we need time and time again to repeat those words and to sing again of the greatness of God. Once a week gathering with God's people for worship is a bare minimum. We'll forget in six days easily who God is and think that we are stuck with the story of the world. We've got input from every source around us telling us a different narrative and we need to be reminded week after week after week and we need to remind those we minister to week after week after week who this God is that we serve and what the story is that we're living out of. It's the answer to weariness. It's waiting. We are the ones who need to worship. We need to uh, return to the greatness of God or we will forget when the rains fall and the winds blow and beat against the house having lost our foundation of who God is, uh, we will find ourselves weary once more. Worship brings our theology, what we believe and confess about God, into direct contact with our life as we live it with God. Worship is a part of what Eugene Peterson calls our spiritual theology, seeking to live out all that we believe about God. And there's this promise connected with it. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. They will persevere. And the promise is not automatic. It requires that we learn the practice of waiting on the Lord. Otherwise, we're just stuck on the ground. There was a town I heard about where all the residents were ducks. Do you know that town? All the residents were ducks. Every Sunday, the ducks would waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street to their duck church, and they would go sit in their duck pews and gather there. The duck choir would waddle in and take its place, and then the duck preacher would come up and open the duck Bible, and he would read to them, Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings, you can fly. With wings, you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings and you can fly like birds and all the ducks would quack. Amen. And then waddle back home. It's one thing to read Isaiah 
chapter 40, these beautiful, absolutely beautiful words about the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, one who calls out all the stars each night and knows them by name and never loses one. This everlasting God who never fails. It's wonderful to sing about that and say it. But if we just waddle back home into our misery, we've missed the point. Christian life is the living out of everything we believe about God. And that means learning to wait on God and to trust God. And when we're the most weary to allow the convection of his spirit to lift our wings and to, to give us flight that holds us up when we can't hold ourselves up. Our own energy will play out. Even young people will stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful to you that you have revealed yourself through your prophets and apostles and poets and psalmists and wise men and women in scripture. And for the reminder that is there on practically every page of how great you are and how how willing you are to take us in our weakness and to hold us up. We ask you, God, to do that now. These are hard days. These are very hard days. And we need you. Teach us to wait on you, Lord. And help us to find the grace of your spirit lifting us for the life you've called us to live faithfully. In Christ's name, amen.